communicate a sense of his values. Why? With Arcia Tecun. Welcome everybody. Today we have a special guest, Dorothy Savietti, uh, who I will let introduce yourself. So go ahead and just introduce yourself however you like, where you're from, your villages. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me, Daniel. Uh, so, um, my name is Dorothy Savietti. Um, my mother's from the villages of Talafo'o, Makaunga, and Mapuhoya Tevolo and my father's from the village of Fatai. I've also got connections to the village of Whangaleoonga and Lotofoa in Haapai. Awesome. So Dorothy is a uh, post-grad student uh, currently researching Fahu, or for those who are unfamiliar, kind of in broad terms, um, perhaps one way of defining it is what, chiefly sibling um, or chiefly kin and I'll, I'll maybe just turn it to you to kind of, what was your interest in Fahu? What is a Fahu? And then we'll kind of just build from there. Oh yeah, so um, I'll probably start off with what is a Fahu. So Fahu today is like commonly known as a role in Tongan culture. So that occurs in like functions and gatherings such as funerals, weddings, birthdays, etc. It's a duty that's usually given to the highest ranking individual in the family, which is the meikdanga, which is the word for father's sister. Um, but it's not just limited to the mektanga. I'll, I'll probably talk about that later on. But yeah, my interest in fahu, it just started off with like sort of my experience with the practice of fahu in my family. Um, and it's not just fahu in itself, but also like other customs and traditions in Tongan culture and the way that they've changed. But I guess fahu for me was just more interesting because of the disagreements, conflicts among families here. So with those disagreements and conflicts, when, why, why would that happen? When does that come up? I think it comes up with like defining who is a fahu. Um, yeah, we're sort of in a, in a time where people get to choose their fahu. Um, so as I mentioned before, it's given to the highest ranking, which is the mehitanga, the father and sister, but it's not limited to them. It's also given to the ilamutu, which is the sister's child. It's usually a term that would be used by... Um, the sisters' brothers for the children. Uh, so they, they also have a high-ranking role as well. Um, and it will also be given to the lohula, or also known to some Tongans as fahula, um, which is considered your father's father's sister, so your father's mehektanga. And it can also include her kids, or it can go further to your grandfather's mehektanga, and so on. But it, that depends on how well you know your family genealogy as well as your relations to them. Um, so, like, for instance, my mum, because they have, they use their lohu law, um, because the story is, they, like, her father doesn't have a sister, half-sister, but that's another discussion when that comes into play. Uh, so they usually use their lohu law, my mum and her siblings, and, like, to this day, they have a really close relation. Um, my mum's lohu law... We just had a wedding in the weekend, so yeah, she really played out her role as a low-ranking person to that, um, to a lohu law. Uh, so yeah, I think it depends on the families as well, depending on your relations. So yeah, so fahu can be given to those people, the, the duty can be given to those people. Um, yeah, but then 
sometimes it's just depending on the family, so they can choose. It's sometimes not even the people that I've mentioned. It can be like a, a cousin, a friend, sometimes even a friend can be fahu, um, or even like a grandchild, grandparent, so yeah. So, we're so there's all kinds of different possibilities today, yeah. right? And that's kind of where sometimes the debates might yeah. come up um, as to who's going to take on that role. And you mentioned the role, like what are some of the roles that they play out like at a life of life event or a family function? Oh, so yeah, so they're acknowledged um, in the ceremonial context uh, one of the ways is like given, they're given goloa, which is Tongan mats, uh, Tongan tapa, money, um, gifts. So that's one way of being acknowledged as a fahu in that um, context. Um, even in a gava ceremony, um, the, person, the, the person who claims the whanau, which is sort of the pig in the middle of the, of the circle, the alofi. Um, but yeah, and there are other ways as well, like through performance, through tongue and dance, you can see um, when a fahu does their dance or their um, performance, you have sort of the person, those who are low ranking, sitting on the ground and yeah. So that's kind of how they're acknowledged, right? Like they, they're getting the, at these places, their, their chiefly status is acknowledged within the family clan. But um, is there other like roles as well as far as when they receive that? Like what happens? Do they keep it all for themselves? Like for those who aren't familiar, or do they redistribute some of that stuff later on? Or does some of that stuff circulate later at a different event? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Some, like sometimes it depends. Again, it all depends on the person who is a fahu. Sometimes they can choose to sort of reciprocate that relationship. Um, you know, by giving the families the gift um, through their own performance. Um, but yeah, I think it just depends on the family. Oh. Some will, will choose to keep it. Um, some will choose to sort of share with their younger sisters, if they have any, because they're also considered to be mehiktanga, but obviously the role is given to the eldest mehiktanga, unless if they can't make it, then those who are younger than them or the children will be there, but some Tongans will consider them as just representatives of the Fahu. So yeah. What about like knowledge? Do they do they have responsibility for certain knowledge? Yeah, I, I remember growing up. I was I was told that um, it was I think it was just sort of telling me that you know you even though you are a Fahu, you don't just have like prerogatives or rights, but you also have an obligation to sort of your brother's children. And so that's like, you know, um, like what you said, passing down knowledge to them. Um, so yeah, that's also, that's one that's also, another one is like discipline, disciplining your brother's kids to, yeah. So that's one of the things, but obviously other people would have different opinions and would say no, you know, fahu would only be like um, a role where they just have um, rights and they don't have obligations. Or others will say, well, yeah, it's a reciprocated relationship and, Maybe that's where some of the controversies yeah. come. Maybe we'll get to that a little bit <laughs> later. Because I know you've been doing some research around comparing your experience as well as like the debates that happen online around whether there should be a Fahu or not or who should be the Fahu or not. And then you've also looked at like 
some of the history and some of the older documentation that we have around Fahu as well. So maybe share a little, I mean, what, what were some of the things that for you stood out when you were kind of comparing the, the past to the present? Like what are some of the major changes that you've observed or, or is a lot of the stuff still the same? Yeah, I think one of the, the things I've got from scholarship, like what's been written, especially from Garth Rogers' article was about the disagreements between Tongans on who should be a fahu, and that's still like prevalent today. Um, and you can see it in sort of um, the digital platforms and sort of the statuses. I saw one person, um, you know, making a status about asking who is the fahu, you know, but obviously the, the status also has some um, not really nice language as well. So it showed that there was something going on with that family on choosing who a fahu was. So yeah, I. That's one of the major things about Fahu is just how it's practiced different, differently among Tongans uh, today. Um, yeah. Any other changes as far as like, so you correct me if, if, if I, because uh, I know you've read this stuff more than I have um, as of recent, but I remember looking at uh, Fahu a little bit um, and seeing that some of the laws in Tonga have changed. Like there was laws that were made that kind of uh, maybe impacted the roles that Fahu had compared to perhaps the past with some of the changes today. Did you catch any of that stuff when you yeah. were doing your research? There was an, uh, a book by Christine Gailey, like Kinship to Kingship, um, where she actually talks about a ban on Fahu in 1857. Um, so it was considered like a heathen custom, um, and it was because Fahu obviously allowed women to sort of exercise their authority, um, but obviously with the arrival of Christianity, um, they wanted Tongan women to focus more on their role as sort of a wife um, or mother at home, So, which is why they sort of um, put that ban into place. But obviously, we still practice Fahu today, but I think that ban has changed the way most of us sort of practice and perceive fahu. Um, yeah, that's sort of my, yeah. what I see, but obviously other people might think actually, no, it's still the same. Okay, yeah. No, and I think that's always the tricky one, right? It's like the, the perceptions is always big, right? Yeah. Sometimes we perceive, and this could be any culture, right? We might perceive things as having never changed. But once you start taking a closer look, and you look at all these things, you can see how there's been these different influences and maybe some of that tension is still around today. I'm wondering, because you mentioned perception, what were, with your when you looked at the contemporary stuff, I know there's a lot of stuff out there, but what were some of the, I guess, main things that stuck out to you as far as the perceptions that people have around Fahu today? Yeah, I think what, it's a stat, someone's status, I'm not going to name them, but um, they talked about how the, the Fahu system for them was quite annoying because, you know, it, it sort of shows people claiming their achiness over, you know, someone, over those who are low rank. Um, and I think to me that it really showed, like, how... I think it also depends on the generation. So growing up, like, seeing my mum and her siblings... And I talk about my mum's side because I'm more close to my mum's side, but um, they, it shows that they were brought up... Like, they were taught by their parents, like, you know, their role to their whahu, regardless of how close they were, regardless if the whahu, you know, 
um, if they had, if they were sort of a fahu that would reciprocate. Um, so yeah, so they will talk about like how they will just have to show respect um, because at the end of the day, they're the fahu, they have high ranking regardless. But then now, you know, you have Tongans today who are like, oh no, actually, I will respect my fahu based on our relation, based on what they've done for me, and you know, so you can see the differences between that. And I, and I guess like for me, like, I would say maybe because I am from that younger generation, where I'm like, oh yeah, I w I would respect my fahu, you know, if they showed respect to me, like, but yeah, everyone's different. Yeah, that's one of the things that sort of I found intriguing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it is interesting, right? So for some, if you have the title, then you're yeah. respected no matter what. Whereas now, it seems like there's some shifts. Not with everybody, but with some, they're saying, oh, well, you got to do something with that. Yeah. And, and, and on whether or not. Yeah, based on actions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's another, uh, I was wondering too, because I know this is another thing that is debated as well at times, um, but because you've looked at some of the history, what role um, does gender play in regards to fahu? Because I think, at least in my experience growing up in relation to Tongan communities, it seemed like the assumption was that they're always going to be women um, or the oldest sister. And again, that might be debated as to who should be the right one um, as far as in big life events. But historically, we can see that there may be exceptions at certain times. What, 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 what are your thoughts and from what you've read and what you think in regards to the role of gender and fun. Yeah, I think like what we talked about before was that I think rank sort of triumphs gender. Um, and, but from what I would read, like the historical accounts, um, they would always like, especially the historical definitions, they would always refer to fahu as sort of the sister's son or the sister's child, or, but more like the son, um, which. To be honest, I felt really confusing because there's also other historical definitions as well. But for me, I think, again, when we, as I mentioned before, like in some contexts, like I think it would matter, like gender would matter in a sense where, where you have the brother-sister relationship, you know, the, um, the taboo relationship. So for, yeah, because fahu is very complex. Yeah. So... But yeah, gender is, is something to still consider. Even though I know some people wouldn't say like gen gender and age doesn't matter, but. Rank seems to be the most important yeah, thing. Even though most. those things are there, yeah. rank, right, always seems to But be. it's still something to look at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, definitely. So when you talk about like com complexity, how, how has that changed as you've been researching it, right? So you came in obviously with your ideas, with your experience, with your knowledge. But then when you had to start looking at other people's perspectives, <laughs> like, I guess, what, what, were your, what was your experience there? It's like seeing how complex and how big even just thinking about Fahu really is. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It really challenged the way I, uh, I think about Fahu, um, or culture in general. Because, yeah, when I, when I would read most of the stuff, I would always have to try and remember, like, okay, not everyone's going to have the same views as you or... You know the the way that knowledge is passed down through them it's different from how knowledge was passed down like to me from my you know parents and and my elders so yeah it was really hard to be honest because sometimes I'll read something and I'll be like oh that's not right but then I'm like no that's their perspective you know and that's what makes fahu interesting and 
um, really engaging is just these different perceptions. But then again, it also makes it complex. Like, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. I think for me, and, and for you as well, like in a, as a postgrad researcher, right, like that's always, we have to figure out how do we talk about it now? Because yeah. now, you know, we look at all these different things and you realize that not everybody's in agreement. And that's what makes it so interesting is that not everybody's in agreement and they're yeah. willing to debate about it. But then it also makes it challenging, all right, how do we talk about it to allow for the room for all those possibilities to exist, even though there's, people maybe have some strong opinions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the one thing I, I gained from Faho that I could also just apply for any other topic like in Tongan culture is that not everything is sort of definite, like, you know, not everything's fixed, like everyone will have different opinions um, on certain matters and, but yeah, but then that's what we have research for to, to go through that and see what people say and what they mean and how it's sort of its role in Tongan culture and society but yeah. A couple of years now that you've been studying Fahu and you got another year next year still I'm wondering is there anything that we haven't covered that you think is important to talk about for people to consider when they think about um, the role that uh, Fahu play uh, within Tongan culture and society but also for maybe even the non-Tongans and stuff as well, the significance, the lessons there are there as far as the, the kinship ties and, you know, where is somebody always the Fahu or maybe they are with one side of the family and maybe they're not with the other, maybe that's part of that complexity too. Yeah, um, so with that, with what you've just said, like about, you know, one person being a Fahu on one side and then the other, so that sort of like displays the sort of the father's side and the mother's side in Tongan kinship. So Tongan kinship, like the father's side is known as the eiki, you know, high ranking, and then the mother's side is known as like low ranking. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it was uh, Elizabeth Bott's article where she talks about like the eiki to our relationships and so how well it ties with, with fahu. Um, but she talks about like Fahu as a personal rank, and yeah, she says like it's inherited in one's being, um, fixed for life, cannot be changed by good works or misdeeds, and a person may be Fahu at one funeral, and Leongi, so Leongi is sort of the term for those of low ranking, and you usually know someone's a Leongi by the Taubala that they wear, which is like sort of the big ones that go over the head, and um, but yeah, with that, she says that it does not mean that that their um, personal rank has changed. It only just depends on their relation with the person. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it really depends, right, again, what your relationship is to the person and the event. Yeah. So it could be shifting depending on that. So you really have to know how you're related to people, right? Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I think is really important, especially in the world that is increasingly very individualistic, um, very alienating, but um, Tongans have this really rich tradition of strong kinship ties, big families, but also just knowing who your family is. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of lessons there for sure. Now you've mentioned a lot of anthropologists as well in your research, but I know it's something that we've talked about as well, right? It's like, while there's some great scholarship there too, um, there's a missing a lot of uh, Tongan scholars and uh, Tongan writings. And so you've looked at oral history, you've looked at your own experience, you're bringing in your own lived experience, knowledge. Um, I guess what's your perspective now, looking back, like how do you feel about all these different sources 
that you've used, you know, some that are coming from Tongans and some that are not coming from Tongans yeah. in exploring Fahu. Yeah, uh, I forgot to yeah, I forgot to mention like with the um like so the anthropologists that I've just mentioned, like most of them worked with, you know, Tongan royal families. Um so that's where their knowledge and some of them acknowledges like where they get their knowledge from and who they've talked with or interviewed and um but yeah. So it's it's quite interesting to see like non Tongan scholars be sort of interested in Fahu and then just seeing Tongans I haven't seen much Tongan scholars talk about Fahu as much as, you know, the non Tongans. But then that doesn't mean that we should neglect like, you know, just the Tongans who obviously don't have qualifications but are still valued in my opinion. So, you know, that includes like our parents, our elders, even talking chiefs, matapules, like people in in the Kainga, in the village. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm trying to do with this research is incorporate both sides, not just the academic, but the non-academic sources. And so that's even what's posted on on digital platforms. But yeah, with the with what I did for our individual course, having to look at just only sort of what's posted on social media, like. I wish I had sort of, which I probably will have next year, a chance to sort of go out and actually talk with sort of people from the community about and getting their views on. Because with social media, like, you only get, like, a little bit of of their perspective. Like, whatever you see on social media is what you get. But obviously with interviews or, like, I'm having talanoas with people from family or, you know, church or just from the community in general, like, you'll get a much in-depth insight and knowledge. Something to look forward to, <laughs> be able to look out for that. It's important that you're studying, you know, Tongan culture is the topic of study <laughs> for you as a Tongan, which is great. Yeah, I, mean, I just want to say, like, even though probably not as much as I talked about, like, with Fahu, you know, on, on your podcast, but, like, just, like, Overall, like, Fahu is a very complex topic. Like, there is a general understanding among Tongans of certain themes around Fahu, um, you know, and in contrast, like, themes such as defining a Fahu, obligations to a Fahu, you know, there tends to be different perspectives. And so Fahu is, like, much more than a role. Um, and so to kind of fully comprehend Fahu, you know, one must consider different aspects like historical, cultural, social, like etc. And um but regardless of its complexities, like Fahu still plays like a significant role in both family and village as it allows one to understand like their rank and position in the family. Um, but it also allows them to learn more about like their family genealogy and the responsibilities that come with their place in the family, whether they are like a Fahu or not. So yeah, that's all I've got to say about Fahu. For now. Yeah, for now. <laughs> for now. Awesome. Malo, Dorothy. Yeah. Everybody out there in the this digital universe, be on the lookout for more of her work and research. Malo. Malo, <laughs>